Hi, I'm Mark Weinstein, and welcome back to this week's program, where our conversation will intersect between basketball and Jesus. The college basketball season is upon us, so I thought today was a great time to have Coach Pat Estep and Jacob Drees on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Pat Estep has been Cedarville's men's basketball coach since 2008, and during his 15 years on the bench, he's guided his teams to six 21 seasons, six national tournament appearances, and a pair of National Christian College National Championships. Coach Estep is one of just two Division II college basketball coaches serving on the 23-member National Association of Basketball Coaches Board of Directors. And if that's not enough, Pat served as the head coach on the East team at the 2023 NABC Reese's Division II College All-Star Game. Joining him is Jacob Drees, a six-foot-seven power forward for the Yellow Jackets. In his career, Jacob has averaged nearly seven points and six rebounds a game. And he's a member of the 2023 GMAC All-Academic Team. And today, he's pursuing an MBA from Cedarville University. It's a pleasure to have you both on the program today. Welcome. Thanks, Mark. So technically, you opened the season last month with an exhibition game at the University of Dayton. It had to be a lot of fun. But the season starts for real, Pat, in three days when you play the University of Missouri-St. Louis, followed by Central Oklahoma. Uh, what do you know about these teams, and what do you hope to know about your team coming out of those three games? Yeah, we're really excited to be a part of this small college basketball um, Hall of Fame Classic. It's a tremendous event. Yeah, it gives us some national exposure, I think, for our program. Uh, I know Missouri-St. Louis a little bit just because they're in our region, so right. they're really physical, they're tough, really well coached. Um, and then Central Oklahoma, uh, their coach used to be the coach at Mercer when Mercer beat Duke. Um, so tremendous coach, really both teams, well-coached teams, uh, be a big challenge for us, um, kind of give us a good start to just see where we're at on a national landscape. You return a lot of players key players, actually, from last year's team, including Jacob Drees, who's sitting next to you. What are your expectations for the season, knowing that you have a veteran team coming back? Yeah, I think we have high expectations. Um, you know, we have our top eight scorers back. We've got a lot of key pieces, and we have a couple new um, freshmen who are really talented that will be able to give us some depth maybe we didn't have at times last year. But our league is tough. The top end especially is really tough, so it's a challenge every night, and there's a lot of Probably the top four or five teams in our league all returned the bulk of the roster. So um, it's going to be a challenging year. We're excited for it. I love this group. They're fun to work with. They're really fun to coach. So we have expectations that, um, you know, we got a chance, I think, to win the league. But there's never an expectation to win the league in our league. So, you know, I think for us, it's just can we stay locked in on getting better? We got certain guys got to stay healthy, including this guy beside me. Yep. Um. So those those are key factors for us. Um. And then got to catch some breaks. Yeah. So, so Jacob, he he gave a little bit of that coach speak. You know, he didn't want to really come out and say that. You know, we're going to win the conference or we're going to challenge for it. What's what's your thought for the season? Honestly, I think all of us players have high expectations. As you said, we returned a lot of our key players. Um. But we also have a lot of talented freshmen. Timo, who's a six ten kid from Poland, who I spend a lot of time with down with the bigs. He could be a very key uh, part of this team, uh, just for depth inside that we haven't really had in the past. And then Anthony, our our other freshman, is going to give us more depth at guard, um, which we haven't had in freshman in the years past. So I'm excited for that. It's nice to have a balance of 
young players who can bring some energy, maybe more energy than the, the, the seniors and juniors, right? Yeah, yeah. There's some freshness that comes when you have a couple new guys in that are excited about stuff. And, you know, sometimes the old guys I'm trying to manage um, <laughs> their bodies and uh, just even the – it's a long season and they it know is. it. Yeah. And and that's a big body sitting next to you, six, yeah. six foot seven. He's yeah. a, he's a he's a beast. So I'm gonna go back to Jacob because I remember uh, last year there were a couple games that I that I remember that you did really well and you um, you scored 19 points, grabbed five rebounds, blocked four shots, and two steals against Hillsdale, and then later you scored 21 points against Walsh. Both you had good games. Unfortunately, we lost both those games. What what's the takeaway from something like that? Because Personally, you were successful, but that's not the goal, right? Kind of leaves a sour taste in your mouth because uh, you want to do everything you can to help your team win because uh, that's the ultimate goal of a basketball game is to win it. It's not about personal stuff. Um, but then at the same time, you have to realize that you're playing well and you can't put your head down. You got to move to the next game quick. It's kind of a motivation for, I think, a lot of us. Uh, we have a lot of games from last year where we look back and we think we should have won that game. So again, moving into this year, it's it's looking back at those, learning from them, uh, not hanging our heads on those, but realizing how good we could be and just running with that. Yeah. So how do you measure success? Let's drill down a little bit. So personally, you had success against those two schools and other other games as well, but you didn't win, and and your season wasn't as successful as you probably wanted it to be. So what in your mind will make this year a success? Honestly. The success for me would be that all of our guys are healthy with their relationship with Christ. I know that sounds a little cliche coming from a Christian college, but that's really the the bigger goal of all of this is to have a group of guys who love Jesus. Um, and then basketball comes second to that. But if we're looking at basketball success, I mean, we want to make it to the national tournament, um, want to win the GMAC. As Coach said, it's hard. Yeah, It's a very tough league. You never know what's going to happen. One person gets hurt, that can change the whole season. So at the end of the season, if everyone's in a healthy relationship with Christ, basketball will take care of itself. So let's talk about the relationship with Christ a little bit in basketball. So I know in other sports that we have here, other teams, I should say, they are vocal with the other teams in terms of like soccer this this past year, uh, or this year, I should say, uh, when our team went out to play Maryville in St. Louis you know, our our players wrote a handwritten note and sent it to the player who they were trying to connect with. And I saw a story about that in St. Louis. That's why I know about it. Do you guys do anything like that where you're trying to connect with the opposing players in a spiritual, deep meaning? We don't do the letters like some of the yeah. uh, other teams here do. Most of the time, it's either a captain or a coach will ask the other coach or a captain of the other team to pray after the game. Um, and that's most of what we do. Okay. Um, and then... A lot of it is just our actions on the court. We try to to witness through the game of basketball, uh, not just with the words that we say after the game, but the actions that we live out. Actions do speak louder than words, yeah. right? Like you said, we try and ask guys to if they want to pray, and they always want to pray if they beat you. They don't always yeah. want to pray if right. they get beat. Um, right. So that's not always something in basketball, for whatever reason, that is common. And Chris knows that, you know, I think for us, it's a relational side of you're competing with guys. And, you know, we've gotten to know Finley's players because we play in a classic with them at the start of every season. So we sometimes we're in the same hotel and I'm hanging out down the lobby talking to their kids and I see them in warmups and our guys do too. Jacob's good friends with some of them. So some of this 
I think in basketball, because it's such a heated environment that you're in, um, on the court in a tight space. And it is, uh, it, it's more the long haul, the relationships you develop. And can you, can you have some influence on them over the course of time? So we try, you know, we're not always perfect. Um, right. It's a, it's a, like I said, it's a highly competitive event. So it's. And emotional. Yeah. Very, very, maybe more than most any other sport. Right. Um, it's really emotional because it's tight space, crowds involved, it's and you don't really you're you're really upset and then boom you got to flip the switch is sometimes tough for both teams so I think allowing a little cooling down period and then just talk I, I have a good relationship with a lot of our coaches and and our guys do with a lot of the players so so let's let's continue this this conversation uh, part of a successful team I believe whether it's athletics whether it's academics or our families is having a culture where everyone buys in to the mission how would you describe either one of you guys how would you describe the team culture here at Cedarville? I mean, every time we break down in a huddle, we say family on three, and I really think we live that out. I still have guys from my freshman year, uh, Damon Parker and then Brandon, Quentin, Connor, all those guys. I still talk to all of them very frequently, and I think that that's a big part of why we're all so close is we stay in contact with guys. We're hanging out with guys. We spend time together off the court, which is a big thing. Uh, especially when you get to college, because there's a lot of personalities, a lot of egos, um, and I think even at Cedarville, us, even at Cedarville, <laughs> okay. And I think a lot of guys uh, put their ego to the side when it comes to our team, and that's laid out by the coaches, the players, like everyone talks about it. We put our egos to the side and kind of just focus on us as a team rather than individual. So when you say family on three, family is the the team, right? Not Correct. not our individual Correct. families, right? I mean, you're, that kind of leads me into something. I usually have this talk at the beginning of a year um, with our guys. And it, I, we have a tremendous locker room right now. And and it's been pretty good. You can kind of track our records. Uh, they followed the chemistry in the locker room over the last year. It's been really tight. Guys that buy into Cedarville. And, you know, some of the conversations we have with recruits all the time is like, Cedarville's not for everyone. And, no. and we've got – we've done – We've, we've been fortunate. My assistants have done a great job of getting kids who really fit, you know, this mission um, at different levels, but they, but they embrace it. And, you know, I think that helps the culture. Um, we take some time in the fall. We do a retreat with our guys. We, we talk about it a lot. Um, I don't have a lot of catchphrases, but we do live it. And, you know, I, I have a conversation with our guys. I'm, I'll probably have it here in a couple, you know, at the early stages of practice, we've had it. I'll have it again, like where sometimes you have to, you have to tune out noise, and some that sometimes that noise is your parents because your parents care about you. All right, they don't they don't have to care about the team; they just want you to be successful. Well, there's times where you're us being success, successful means you're taking a back seat, and you you know it's tough. But we've had kids do it, and and, and that's rewarding when you see kids be like, "Hey, mom, dad, you're not at practice every day. You don't get like I need to be better or whatever." Right. Like. You know, and that's a that's a good culture when you're when I don't have to do a lot of it because these guys take care of it. You touched on it, and this is where I want to go now. Is I talked about uh, a retreat. You usually go on a retreat with your team. So earlier this year, Pat, you took your players and coaches on a trip to Israel. That was about cultural development, but it was also about walking in the word. And I, and when I say that you walked in the word, I mean your team hiked. 80 miles in 12 days in extreme heat. Tell me about that experience yeah. briefly. 
if I could do it over again, I'd probably do that trip in May and not July. But, how how um, warm was it? It the first four days it was between 105 and 110. Um, so extremely hot. Um, yeah, it was an unbelievable experience for our program. We were able, we were fortunate. My wife, our trainer's wife, and one of our assistant coaches' wives were able to go. So to experience that with your wife is special. And then to have your players there, and we had seven parents. Um, so it was an unbelievable experience, probably more of a discipleship trip than it was an outreach just because of the nature of where you're at. But our guys, I, I was as impressed with our players in that trip than I've ever been in a game. Um, they were locked in. They didn't complain, and it was hard. And maybe they didn't complain because their old coach was hiking everything they were hiking, so they couldn't. But they uh, they really were engaged. They were curious about what we were learning, where we were at, and we pretty much spent – we started in Exodus and walked all the way through the resurrection and the birth of the church, and we're sitting on the steps. So, was there any value from the trip from a um, physical conditioning? Because you're hiking, you're walking, you're on your feet all day, right? There was for me. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> you you got in yeah. shape. Yeah, <laughs> Jacob could answer that. One. Yeah, no, it was that was honestly harder conditioning than the conditioning I was doing at home by myself running wise. Really? Uh, cause I mean, as coach said, you're walking in 105 to 110 degree heat. There's not a cloud in the sky. And then you're walking straight up the side of a mountain. And then later that night you have a basketball game to go play. So it was, it was a lot, but it was, I wouldn't trade that experience. So how many anyone. basketball games did you play while you were in Israel? Four. We were there 12 nights. So we, we played them all kind of, at the beginning, we were in Bethlehem, played three games there, and then one in Israel. And how old were those walls that the rims were hanging? Like uh, 1,200 years yeah, or something? I mean, something, something like crazy. that. Like, yeah. Wish we had pictures. But what a, great, uh, what a great experience. So I know you visited a lot of biblical sites, including the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. Where else did you go, and what were some of your personal highlights? And I'm going to start with Jacob on this one. Uh, personal highlight for me? Um, was probably going to the Jordan River just to see where Jesus was baptized because um, you expect this giant river flowing with right, water right. and you walk up and it looks like a creek in America. Really? And and they say it gets more water when it's rainy season, but we walked up and none of us really had a clue where we were because we're walking through sand and rock and we got down to to the bottom of the hill and John, the, the leader of the trip, was like, yeah, guys, this is where Jesus was baptized. And I think that was one of the big moments for me, like, holy cow, this is, this is real. Um, that, and then the first day we went out hiking, we were in the middle of the desert. No, none of us had a clue where we were. And we were talking about Moses in the burning bush, um, which was within 500 yards of us. They don't, there's three different spots that it could have been. And he said, take your shoes off. So we all were standing there barefoot and he said, now I want you to try and run because that's that's how they were back in the day. They didn't have shoes. Like there was no running from God for Moses. Um, so he just, like just feeling that on the first day was a really cool experience. What did you feel? I don't want to say stuck, but you felt like you just had to be there with God. Like you, it's almost hard to describe because it's, it was it was almost surreal because you realize like, Moses literally, he had no choice but to sit there with God and be obedient to what he was telling him. And it was one of those things where it's like, it might sound crazy, like, oh, you just took your shoes off. But it was like, you felt, I got goosebumps. I have goosebumps talking about it right yeah. now. But And you can visualize it right yeah. now, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. That's one. I want to get 
near that to the end. And uh, but uh, you know, I've been told that um, when people go to the Holy Land and do a tour and see what they see, that when they read their Bible, it takes it from black and white to living color. And we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But back to the Jordan River, was there enough water that you saw to baptize anybody? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we got in the water, and like even just feeling the water was kind of crazy. What, what were some highlights for, for you? Oh man, there's so many. I like Jacob said. I think the early part in the desert, and you know, we got to see where the Dead Sea Scrolls were yeah. found. Yeah. Um, Mount Arabel in Getty was a real cool where David hit out from Saul. That was a cool experience because that was a long hike. I mean, that was and hard. Both of those two were really hard. Uh, Mount Arabelle is where the Great Commission took place. Um, that was a pretty grueling hike. But to be honest, um, probably one of my favorite times was in the Garden of Gethsemane. We talked about things um, that happened there, obviously. And then John just had our guys just kind of break off. John was our leader. Um, and just looking at our guys just kind of by themselves praying under a tree, uh, under an olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they... You can see it on their face. They know what happened here. They know what was about to take place. So that that was pretty special. Always, always the just how our players interacted and how engaged they were was was pretty special to watch and makes you proud as a coach. How did how did they? Can you put words to how they did respond in in that setting? Um, it was solemn. I think for our guys in that setting, and we were in a lot of different settings. Sure, um, and some of them were refreshing like we know i tell you right now we know the difference between living water and a cistern <laughs> we learned a lot about that um but that setting was kind of solemn and you know guys were just breaking off and you could tell they were really impacted so in talking with you pat a couple of months ago you mentioned there were two key moments for you you just mentioned one but the second moment that you mentioned was when your team was having dinner with your muslim bus driver and his family at their house with different theological beliefs and cultural differences how meaningful was that for you jacob and what what was that like to just be the hands and feet of jesus in a in that situation yeah it was it was cool because there's a language barrier, there's different religious beliefs, and to sit around the table and they bring out two giant bowls, plates, whatever you want to call it, of food. I don't even know what was in it. Rice, chicken, Rice, chicken, spices, <laughs> everything. So you're you're sitting with them, eating with them, how they live, and then just to spend time with their kids. Um How old just, were the kids? Oh, uh, there was like teenagers there. Yeah, 17. four to seventeen okay. probably. Just to spend time with them. Uh just be with them, show them the kindness and love that that we as Christians should be showing people and not judging people for, for who they are, what they believe, but just being there and showing them the light. Because I feel like in, in America, we get blinded by that sometimes. We, we're quick to judge people, um, and it really puts into perspective the, the idea of just being kind to someone, showing them the love of Christ. And something I won't forget, which is nothing theological or anything, but we played rock, paper, scissors for probably <laughs> 25 minutes. And the way they play it is if you lose, you get smacked in the face. Really? So, so that was a How bit hard? of a, they uh, smacked they pretty hard. hard. Yeah. We, we didn't hit them very hard, but they smacked us pretty hard. Um, but it's just, it's cool to see different cultures. Like in America, you'd never play rock, paper, scissors that way, but 
It was a very, very cool experience. What other similarities or differences did you, did you experience from that setting and being with the, that Muslim family? For me, being 23 now, I remember being a kid and just making up games on the fly out in, out in the yard. Right, and right. we were out there playing games with a soccer ball that soccer ball is not meant to be used with your hands. We're doing random things. So it's just like kids are still creative over there. They yeah. don't have all this technology. It was really cool to see. So really not much difference between Americans. No. Kids are kids. Yeah. And they will play. If you give them a break um, without technology, they're going to find a way to play games and our guys aren't any different. <laughs> we take their phones away, they'll start playing games. So, How refreshing is it to step out of this modern culture that we live in to go into Israel and then this family without any of that? Yeah, I think it was for our guys um, just to interact with them and realize they may not believe in the Christ and creator that we do, but they're still created in his image. And, you know, and we got to see that. And that was an, that was one avenue, along with a few others that we we may not have direct outreach, but we are helping John, who goes there about eight times a year, build, strengthen his connections to be able to share the gospel and live the gospel. Was it unusual because you were part of John's journey trip that that you would go into this Muslim family, or this was a one time opportunity? He takes uh, almost all of his teams go there, so okay. Wheaton was there in May. So we're we're kind of a building block, you know, I think for him with this family to just keep showing love. And it's at the end, they're tired. They don't yeah. probably before we go really want to be there, but man, they they really it was cool to watch them interact. What a great opportunity for our listeners today to pray for this Muslim family mm -hmm. as John brings students and people to that Muslim family's house to pray for that situation that their eyes would be open and they would they would see Jesus and accept Jesus as their Savior. What a great opportunity. So I encourage yeah, our sure. listeners to do that. This experience that we just talked about at the Muslim family's house and how your players responded to it, really not wanting to be there. Did it surprise you how they stepped up to the challenge and really embraced it for what it was? No, because I, you know, I kind of got to witness it a lot. Um, there was a lot of hard things in that trip um, throughout different days, and they never complained once. Um, and I've seen them a lot throughout seasons. I know I know who they are deep down inside, and they'll always step up and answer whatever call you ask them to. And so, not really, but it's always refreshing, uh, encouraging, and very encouraging. Yeah. So, what was the hardest, or what some of the hardest items that you experienced on this twelve-day uh, trip? I, I think the hardest thing at times is just um, there's so much information and so many things I don't did not know ahead of time. And the hardest piece when you go on a trip, especially like this, because so, it's less touristy and more, we are hiking up Mount Arbel. Uh, Mount Arbel um, we're, we're doing a lot of things physically, not just seeing them. So the difficulty is there's just so much information coming into your head and you're trying to filter it constantly, like trying to block your Western mind. John would routinely tell us like, turn your Western mindset off because this is not what this means right here. Or so, you know, you have that, that piece. There's also the piece that most of what you want to see is buried 50 feet underground because right. Israel has been, you know, all the cities have been conquered to get destroyed and then built on top of. Um, so you, so you're not really always looking and there's just certain things that were like, well, we think it was here, might've been here. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not what matters. This is what matters. So 
I felt like for us, even though it was difficult, we got to like push some of the things we like to debate or argue out to the side and focus on like Christ is death, burial, and resurrection, and the whole story of that from Exodus to Revelation. Yeah, yeah. keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah, yeah, for really? sure, for sure. Jacob, um, twelve great days of experiences with your with your family. What impacted you the most then, and how has it impacted you even today? Um, I would say for for me, just seeing the stuff in the Bible, because for me, when I read the Bible. I don't always comprehend exactly what I'm seeing. Um, and I know a lot of people uh, just kind of gloss over the, the names of, of people, the genealogy oh, and the places. I understand. Um, and seeing the importance of all of that is kind of eye-opening because you, you go to all these different places and you're like, where where am I? And then John's like, all right, now I want you to flip to Lamentations and this is exactly <laughs> really? where this was and who was here and... It's like, it's just, it's really eye opening. And I think it's given me a new appreciation for reading my Bible um, and staying motivated to stay in it because there's so much to learn. Uh, you can learn it on a very top, top end level, or you can really dig down to the, to the bottom line of it and really learn a lot about the people at the time, the places, um, and having the visuals in my head now because I've seen it. Right. Is, it's life changing. So the, the Bible does come alive, doesn't it? Yes, hmm. very much so. How about you, Pat? As um, how did the how did the trip impact you? And I'm curious, how may it impact the way you coach and the way you lead your family? The ground layer is the Bible is alive, and and you're you're reading the Bible in its context of where it was written. Um, so that's that's pe- that's part of it, and it's just so amazing how much more something comes to life when you know exactly where it's at physically. Like, you know what the walk is from the city of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, like, because you did it a few times. And so that just makes it seem more real, I think. Um, You know, you hope coaching that we actually had a conversation. I do want to coach different. I don't want to just do what everybody else does as a coach. You want to say, all right, how does this influence how I – push these guys, how I motivate them, how I get the most out of them or how we do as a staff or, you know, we're, we're actually starting the coaches Bible study now with our trainer and some guys that went on the trip and like just the fascination with the Hebrew language and culture is like, we're going to read some stuff about that. Like, cause I want to read the Bible the way it was meant um, to be not through my American eyes yeah. all the time. And John Jacob hinted to it, but John's line constantly was, "There's no throwaway lines in the Bible." And you know, sometimes we tend to read it that way, where it's like, "Ah, that doesn't really matter," and it's there for a reason. So. When you, when you, like you said, Jacob, when you re- see all that ge- genealogy names, is is you can see easily, oh, I, I don't need to read those four paragraphs, you know, and move on. But you're right; there, there are no throwaway lines in the Bible. Yeah, and when you realize in the genealogy of Christ, for example, I think our chapel speakers being in the year talked about it. It's like you realize when you start learning about these people, how messed up they were. So how encouraging is that to us? You know, that, hey, Christ came from these screwed up people, all right? Like, that's he came from God, but it, this lineage was a lot of messed up people. And, you know, and, and I think it's just that you always have hope that God can still use you no matter what you've done. Um, so that that's encouraging because you, you saw it. You know, we stood right by Rahab's house. Um, mm. It's underground. It's under dirt. They think it's there, but 
you know, it, it's just, yeah, a lot of those aspects, and I think change how you read it, which gets you more engaged, which wants you, you know, kind of leads you to want to spend more time in the word, which is what I hoped for our players, but all, you know, for me too, but most people don't get to go until they're retired. And we, we were fortunate because of our donors and people that wanted to be a part of this with us financially. We got to take a bunch of college guys, and I hope it changes their life, which in turn can help change our campus because of who they are on our campus. Any plans to go back? Yeah. Uh, I actually do. I, I want to take my kids. Uh, my wife and I just is unbelievable for us. But I actually am considering taking our alumni in May, not July. <laughs> um, any, you know, trying to get maybe 12 to 16 alumni that would like to go in two years in May. Anything I didn't ask you that uh, as we wrap up the program that you want to share about your experience in Israel and your time together as a family? Um, I just encourage anybody who has an opportunity to go to Israel to go. When you're over there, they'll tell you it's the fifth gospel, walking the steps of Jesus and, and, the, and the Bible, and it does change for you. It was tremendous to be able to go with a bunch of players that you love and to see them, see how it impacts them. Um, and even now, you know, I had two guys that are in one of our Old Testament classes on campus come up to me and say, like, Coach, so cool. Like, they're talking about all this stuff. You know, if we wouldn't have go, if we wouldn't have gone, they probably wouldn't have even come to me about Old Testament class. No. And yet, they're like, "We were there, we know." You know, and so yeah, I, I hope that it changes all of us for the better for how we read our Bibles, and we know it's a living word. So the more we're in it, the more it changes us. We we are out of time, but I want to thank Coach Patty Step and Jacob Drees for joining me today on the program. I want to encourage the listeners that again, if as as it comes to mind. Pray for that Muslim family that will continually be influenced by people that John brings their way. Yeah. If you're interested in attending a Christian college like Cedarville University, whether it's undergraduate or dual enrollment, I encourage you to look at cedarville.edu. We'd love to have you join us here at Cedarville. Uh, guys, uh, that's the program. Thanks for joining me this week on the, on the podcast. Thanks for having thank us. You. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.